I can still hear the words of my Fayed teacher. Okay, line up. Captains, choose your teams. Those may have been the most anxiety-inducing, sweat-producing nine syllables ever. And one by one, I was left standing, wondering to my sweaty self, will anyone choose me? Because deep down, if we're honest, no one wants to be picked last. I think that same feeling can translate into how we structure our lives, too. Because surely, there's no shortage of things to choose first. Our careers, that me time or tea time we've ignored for far too long. Kids' sporting events and recitals, not to mention our social lives. Family time, finally spending whatever little time, money, and energy we have left on things others tell us we need. We've chosen everything first, except for God. And while I'm sure his self-esteem is far more sound than mine was in gym class, the truth is, he doesn't want to be chosen last either. In fact, he wants nothing more than for us to realize we've been approaching it all backwards. As we've poured into what we think should come first, we eventually run dry and only see a fraction of the life we could. But God offers us an entirely different approach altogether. He invites us to show him love by giving our first and best to him. And as we obediently respond to that call, we often get to see a health and vibrancy elsewhere that we couldn't have otherwise seen any other way. We just need to take a time out, pull up the gym socks of life, and begin to choose first things first. Morning, everybody. I'll tell you a story about a monk. He was on a walk. He was going down this long, dusty road. And as he was looking around, the sun was shining, and he saw a sparkle that really caught his eye. So he pulled off the road, went over to the side, and tried to pick it up, but it was embedded in the dirt. So he had to dig around and dig around until finally he pulled up a beautiful gem about this big around. He wiped it off and got it really clean, and he realized that this thing was, this thing was worth a lot of money. It brought a smile to his face, and he kind of looked up to heaven and thanked God and took his backpack off and stuck it in and went on his way. We kept walking until he came across a, another traveler who was really struggling and poor and a beggar. And that traveler said to the monk, Sir, do you have something that can help me out? Just anything? We took his knapsack off and he opened it up and he felt around and there was a sandwich and there was some cheese and here was an apple. And he pulled it out and he handed it to the grateful traveler. And they said, Wait a minute. Because as he was fumbling around trying to find the food, he, he remembered the gem. He felt it. He said, I, uh, I got something else for you. And he reached in. He found the gem. And he handed it over to the man. And he said, I want you to have this. The guy could hardly believe his eyes, could hardly believe his ears. You mean this costly gem is for me? He goes, yeah, it's yours. And the monk smiled and he kept walking along. Well, a couple hours later, the traveler, who was quite breathless now, caught up to the monk and tugged on his sleeve. He said, sir, may I ask you for something else? The monk said, well, what do you want? He said, could you please give to me that which compelled you to give me the gem? I love that little parable. It is so convicting. 
Now that he's saying, I really like the gem, but boy, I'd love to have whatever it is you have that would cause you to give me what's probably your most costly possession. I imagine God sometimes walking along, he encounters me or you. And as he encounters us, he looks at us and he says, I have something for you. And he opens up his divine knapsack, so to speak. He pulls out and he gives us the most cherished possession he has. He gives us his son. He says, here's my son. He's going to give his life for you. So your slate is wiped clean. So you're forgiven. So you're accepted. Let me ask you a question. If you're a follower of Christ. Have you ever had a moment in your life when you have gone to God to the Father and said, Father, I, there are no words to thank you for giving me Jesus. I am wordless. And there's nothing I can give you back that in any way would come close at all to expressing how thankful I am for what you've done. But Father, could I also ask you to give me that which compelled you to give me your son? I don't know if I've ever really honestly asked God for that. How about you? But what I do know is that when Paul wrote a letter to a local church we know as the Corinthians who lived in Corinth, he wanted them to have what compelled God to give his son. He wanted them to have a giving spirit that came from a sincere and loving heart. And that's really what he wants for all of us. And as we end this uh, series that we've been in for a couple of weeks called Putting First Things First, or maybe I should say Keeping First Things First, I want to talk about having the same heart that God has for you and for me. And then next weekend we start a brand new series, and I'm going to give you four gifts that have been given to me. That I think is going to really help you through this, not only this Christmas season, but into the new year. They're going to be blessed gifts that you will draw so much from. But let's wrap this up. If you want to follow the letter that Paul wrote, it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> I'll also in a moment put it up on the board. And we're going to work through it. And we're going to be talking about some things that are going to make us uh, a little bit touchy, maybe a little bit uh, nervous. But I want you to know that you don't have to be afraid, all right? seems like the two hardest things to talk about in church are sex and money. And we'd rather hear about sex than we would money. <laughs> and that always brings people saying, that's all the church ever talks about. It's not all the church ever talks about. And I'm not going to ask you to sign your name to anything. I just want you to have the same heart that I want to have, which is the heart of the Father. St. Corinthians chapter 8. Let's start with our verses. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. He says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. Now, the churches in Macedonia would be churches like the church of Philippi in the book of Acts, the church of Berea, the church of Thessaloniki that I know of. Well, what have they done, right? He says, they are being tested by many troubles. I imagine some of us in the room today could say, include me in that. Boy, am I being tested by some troubles in my life. And he says, 
They aren't poor. They are very poor. They're struggling. They're being persecuted because they're followers of Christ. They've got all kinds of things going on in their lives. So many troubles and very poor. But you always have to, you have to look for the but or the therefore in Scripture because it's there for a reason. It says, but they are also filled with what? You guys sound like that was abundant sadness. They're also filled with what? You can talk. Abundant joy, which has overflowed. Love that word. Which has overflowed in rich generosity. So these are people who are under a lot of persecution, a lot of trouble, who are very poor, but they have this, they have this abundant joy. They're filled with it. In fact, they are overflowing with rich generosity. And that begs the question, where's that coming from? Because normally people have a lot of troubles. Normally people have a lot of conflict in their life. There's not a whole lot of joy. Well, it comes from the fact that they have experienced God's kindness. And when you experience God's kindness, it is supernatural. When you experience God's kindness, it goes beyond this, this world, right? It's, it's something that the world can't touch. And they're just filled with this joy and with this abundant generosity. He says, for I can, I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but even far more. Now, let me give you a little context here. You'll see it in just a moment. What these guys are doing is they're giving to a church in Jerusalem, the mother church, where it all started from. They're poor. They're hungry. They're being persecuted. There's been a famine. There's been an earthquake. And so these, these churches in what we think of as Greece today are wanting to help out. And the Corinthian church was challenged to help out as well. But they didn't keep up. They kind of started lagging behind. So watch what happens next. Talking about the uh, churches in Macedonia, he says, and they did it of their own free will. He said, I have to guilt them. I have to like, you know, twist their arm behind their back and, and all kinds of stuff. He said, they did it of their own free will. He says, they begged us again and again. Now somebody begs you again and again. It kind of gives the idea that the first time you said, no, no, don't worry about it. That's okay. You already have enough problems. You already have enough issues going on. But they begged. They said, no, we want to give. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They even did more than we had hoped for. For their first action, here's what's really important, was to give themselves to the Lord. If you don't give yourself to the Lord first, nothing else will come easy. Because your priorities are out of whack. It's really hard to be self-centered and generous at the same time. At least I have found in my life that's a challenge. How about you? Right? But if you give yourself to the Lord totally, then, then you already know I belong, long, I belong to the Lord and everything I have belongs to the Lord. So I can, I can give it freely. So they gave themselves to the Lord and to us as servants just as God, look at that, just as God wanted them to. Amen? All right. So that's what God called them to do. Next. So we have urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. So here's where, see, like they kind of lagged off. Since you excel in so many ways, now he's going to make them feel better. He says, I mean, you guys are, you have amazing people of faith there. He says, you have gifted speakers. You have a lot of knowledge. He says, you have a lot of enthusiasm and your love from us. I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. So you excel in so many ways. Could you please excel in this as well? He said, I'd love to see that happen in your lives. Next. 
says, I'm not commanding you to do this. Okay, he says, it's not a guilt trip. But I love what he does. Watch. He says, I'm not commanding you to do this, but, you always got to watch this little guy. But I am testing, I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. So you know, a little bit of competition. He says, look what the other churches are doing. I'm just trying to find out how real you guys are. How much skin do you have in the game? He says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So now he goes beyond those churches. He says, now you know how generous Jesus is. Well, how generous is Jesus? He reminds me, he says, though he was rich, owns the universe. <laughs> he says, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Not financially rich, but spiritually rich. Someone said, thank you, Lord, and I think we all be thankful to the Lord for that, don't you? What he's done for us. All right, next. He says, give in proportion to what you have. He says, so, you know, you figure it out. It's between you and God. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it. He says, eagerly. Don't, you know, another place, uh, Paul says, give it with a spirit of hilarity. Give with hilarious spirit, joyful. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have, of course. I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that these, excuse me, that there should be some equality. In other words, I just... Just be like God. He's given you so much. Could you be like him? Now, when you read the passage carefully, what you discover is Paul's saying a few important things that not only the Corinthians need to hear, but I need to hear. Perhaps you need to hear. He's saying when you give, it does three things. Number one, when you give, he's saying it glorifies God. Or we glorify God through our giving. When I give generously, not just the money, but time and talent and abilities, it puts the spotlight on God. Because in our world, our tendency is to give to receive back. Right? It's a give and take world. I do for you what you do for me. But as believers, as followers of Christ, we do for others. And if you never do it for me, that's okay. Because I'm doing this out of God's love and out of God's grace. So he says, when we give that way, it glorifies God. Now let's read some scripture together. He says, there's several ways to glorify God. I want to look at a few from the scriptures. For instance, we glorify God when we give him worship. Would you read Psalm 50, 23 out loud with me? He who sacrifices thank offerings honors me. Now you guys have done the best of all the services today. You guys must have got some caffeine in your system. All right, that was very good. I heard it was Thanksgiving this coming week. Anybody else hear that? I hope you'll be at the table with friends, family, somebody. I hope you go around the table. I hope for just a couple of minutes you'll take time to give thank offerings to God. Just say thank you, God, and then name what you're thankful for, all right? Number two, we glorify God when we give or when we bear fruit. Read aloud with me, John 15, 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So you give fruit away for others. We say, what do you mean by this fruit? Well, it's mentioned in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Man, that's, I don't know about you, but that's good fruit to receive, isn't it? Don't you love it when you're with somebody and they're giving you peace, they're giving you patience, they're giving you kindness, they're giving you joy? That's great. It's hard to be around somebody that's giving you grief, <laughs> giving you complaints, 
giving you criticism all the time. God says, go give that stuff away. It glorifies him. Number three, we glorify God when we live in unity together. When we act as one voice, one person. Read it with me, Romans 15, 6. So that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Love that. As one, we behave as one and we give as one to others. God says he's glorified by that. Number four, let's look at this one. When we, we glorify God when we are fully dedicated to him. All right, let's read 1 Corinthians 6.20 out loud. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. That body of yours, this body of mine doesn't belong to me. God body, purchased with his blood, is now his instrument. To live in and to use as he wishes, as he pleases. It's not mine to do with. You know, our culture says your body is yours to do with whatever you want. Not if you're a follower of Christ. That's his body. You got you to gotta submit it along with your will, your emotions, your thinking, your behavior. You got to submit it to him. And let it be his instrument. It glorifies him. And last but not least, we glorify God when we do good works. When we give away good works. Let's read Matthew 5, 16, Jesus' words. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Abba or your Father in heaven. So I give away in good deeds. I give away in all my good actions. Paul says, man, that glorifies God. Because that's what God does. And you're being just like Abba, just, you're being just like your father and how he is toward us. For God gave his only begotten son, not to condemn the world, but that the world, what? Through him might be, John 3, 17, might be saved. But not only does it glorify God when we give, secondly, notice that when we give, it benefits others. It blesses others. God loves to bless. God loves to give. And, and I know life can be hard. Maybe you've been through some hard times or maybe you'll face some hard times or been through some hard times. But you do understand, don't you, this is not the end of life here, right? We're just passing through. This is a, a sinful world. We've been left here in order to make a difference. But when we get home, my goodness, what God will shower on us when we get home. And we don't deserve any of it. And the greatest gift he's given us is freedom and forgiveness and hope beyond this world. I wish I could tell you all the ways that your generosity as a church in your time and your talents and your abilities and in your dollars is blessing so many people around the world. I kind of made a little bit of a list here. I was thinking about all the children that get blessed here at Wooddale Church and our campuses and all around the world because of your generosity. I thought about all those orphans for every church we plant overseas. They have to minister to the orphans there. Or I thought about discipleship. And I just thought about our one-to-one -one discipleship ministry and how many people are growing in, in their faith or coming to faith or in our life groups or our mid-sized groups or our worship services. I thought about fifth and sixth grade, junior high, senior high, our young adult ministry. How many hearts and lives are being touched because you give. I thought about worship. I thought about all the styles of worship. You know, we're an unusual church. We do many styles, not just one flavor. Traditional, great hymns, gospel music at 830. Our contemporary, then at, you know, in the evening for our young adults, it's modern. And then, you know, we go all the way out to uh, Loring Park. And I don't know what it is, but it's really fun if you've been out there. Outreach. We just had, uh, what is it, five or 600 women here 
a couple days ago and the gospel was given. We have family Christmas coming up and we'll have thousands here pretty soon at the Edina campus who will be blessed with being able to make crafts and do all kinds of Christmas things. It'll be great. Worldwide missions. We're going to plant 12,000 churches in Asia by 2022. And I could go on our compassion ministry that we take an offering for every month that goes to meet people's needs here, near, far. People are hurting our own congregation. The Sheridan story. We have three schools that we've adopted. We help kids who are dealing with food insecurity, borrow tutoring, tutoring at Lucy Craft Laney, Hope Academy, the Treehouse, Source Ministries, Urban Venture, Syrian Refugees. And also refugees here at home. Anti-trafficking and poverty locally and all the way over in Calcutta, getting girls off the street. Helping those who don't have homes to live in, keeping them warm, strengthening them, providing for them. All of our We Are Four ministries is what I'm really mentioning. A lot of this is a part of and more to come still. Our food drive, we support seven local food shelves. Our annual We Are Four Serving Others events. Angel Tree to help out and encourage and bring hope to prisoners. And, you know, and then you give. So we have lights, so we have microphones, so we have heat in the winter. Air conditioning, I wish it was summer next month. Plowing all that snow, the staff, everything that goes into that. Do you know that we touch, without our missions program, we touch 50 to 60 unique lives, 50 to 60,000 unique lives every year. So I'm just here to say thank you for being like your Father in heaven. But I didn't want to just say it to you, I want to show it to you. So we have a little video from our annual meeting. We showed it once in church, but since one, people average going to church 1.4 times a month, some of you haven't seen it yet. Watch what God's doing. Let's watch this. me a vision is a picture of the future that's not been realized yet that makes your heart beat faster. It is bigger than you, it is bigger than us, so that when the vision is accomplished, God gets the glory and a pastor doesn't and a group doesn't and the church doesn't. What we're talking about is, is planting 700,000 seeds, but you know it starts here at home. Over the next seven years, we want, we want to start five more multi-sites. This allows us to continue to expand our ministry and make a difference. It allows us to go way beyond ourselves. All over the world where we have our global partners. So what I'm going to ask you to do is to adopt seven people in your life. All right, that you are going to pray for and encourage and do everything you can to make sure they hear about the good news of God's love. I knew it was the right place for me to be. I felt God's hand every time I was there saying, Dory, this is right, you're supposed to be here. So they started talking about the baptism and I really wanted to do it, but I was nervous. And so I was sitting next to Jenna and I said to her, how about we both do it together? And she's like, no, 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 I don't like to be in front of people. And I texted her a few days later. I'm like, come on, Jenna, I don't want to do it by myself. Will you do it with me? 
And she said yes. So we're up in front together. She proceeds to tell the story of how she invited me to the church. That Pastor Brad had challenged all the volunteers to invite one person to the church. And I was her one person. And I didn't know that story until I stood there behind her while she was being baptized. And she changed my life. She changed my life. That is what we live for. When it's all said and done, it's about seeing people come to faith in Christ. When it's all said and done, it's about being involved in what matters most to the heart of God. So that every one of us loves other people so much that we just want to share God's good news of love and grace. And what's really cool is next weekend will be our very first worship experience at Seven Corners Coffee Shop. So please be praying, all right? Please be praying for that. And, uh, and so it's just, it's, I just want you to know that God's using you to bless others. And, you know, we're trying, we're trying to break barriers as a church. We're trying to, you know, we're trying to move away from maybe where we've been to being more relevant to the communities around us, the people around us. Really represent what the kingdom of God looks like. So just keep praying with us. Keep working with us toward that. Because we want to represent who God is and who God is for in all cultures and backgrounds and ethnicities. Because that's what the kingdom of God is going to look like someday, right? You say, okay, so I, I, want, I want to glorify God. I want to benefit all these people. But how do I know I can trust you with what I give? How do I know it's going to go to where you say it's going to go? Paul knew the Corinthians would be answer, asking that question. Look what he said. He said, not this one, the next one. He said, we are also sending another brother with Titus. Because, see, they, back in those days, they had, could do check transfers electronically. You had to go get the money, and then you had to bring it over to Jerusalem. Okay? He says, we are also sending another brother with Titus. All the churches praised him as a preacher of the good news. He was appointed by the churches to accompany us as we, Paul's included, take the offering to Jerusalem, a service that glorifies the Lord and shows our eagerness to help. We are traveling together to guard against any criticism for the way we are handling this generous gift. In other words, we got people of character and we got great accountability. Next, he says, we are careful to be honorable before the Lord, but we also want everyone else to see what we are, that we are honorable. We're also sending with them another of our brothers who has proven himself many times and has shown on many occasions how eager he is. He is now even more enthusiastic because of his great confidence in you. And last, if anyone asks about Titus, say that he is my partner who works with me to help you and the brothers with him that have been sent by the churches and they bring honor to Christ. I, I want you to see that because even Paul was conscious. People are wondering, hey, what are you doing with what I'm giving for God? He's saying we're accountable, we've got high character, and you're going to see it's going to meet the need we said it would. I hope you see that at Wooddale Church, through our staff, through our board of elders, through the system we have, there's high accountability to take what you give and then tell you how it's making a difference. And I hope you see and feel how it's making a difference. Because ultimately that's what it's all about. We are here to glorify God. We're here to make more disciples for Jesus. See, Pastor, I just have this funny feeling that you're going somewhere with this. Well, you're right. It's our last message in our stewardship series. And if you're not a part of Wooddale, you're just visiting today, just, just listen in. Because this is for those who call us the church, the church home. It's this little card I'd like to ask you to take out. And here's the good news. You don't have to sign. I'm not going to ask you to sign anything. I don't want you to sign anything. 
All right? I just want you to take a look at this because you'll see on the front side, we've broken it up into various steps that just show how many people give at certain steps. And with your eyeball, find where you think you might be in terms of your regular giving to God through Whitdale Church. If you see where you are, my simple question is to you, has God moved on your heart to be more generous this coming year? Would you be willing over the next 10 or 11 months to take one or two steps forward? Then on the back, if you want to tell us where, don't put your name, if you want to say, here's the step I'm at right now, and then check the step you're going to go to by God's grace, we'd love that. And as you leave, you'll see that outside all the exits is a bowl that you can put it in or a, I don't know what they've got out there, but there's something you can put it in. Say, I need more time to think about it. No problem, they'll be there next weekend. Or you can send it in the mail. I'm not going to pester you about it. Say, what do you want this for? It helps me know, helps us know how to invest what you give wisely. So we don't overinvest. We don't overextend ourselves. What can we count on? It's you telling us, here's what God's moving me and how he's moving me to invest. You just put it in there anonymously and then it just helps us. But it also, it's kind of like what Paul says. It, it helps us say, well, how are we doing compared to how God is working in other churches? But while you're thinking about it, I want to tell you a story. It's by John Ortberg. He's a pastor and author. It's kind of a self-revelation he gives. I want you to listen to what he has to say. He says, my grandmother was a lovely woman, but she was the most ruthless Monopoly player I have ever known in my life. Anybody like Monopoly? I wonder if he wishes he could take these words back, but here's what he wrote. He says, imagine what would have happened if Donald Trump had married Leona Helmsley and they would have had a child. Then you have some picture of what my grandmother was like when she played Monopoly. She understood that the game, that the name of the game is to acquire when we would play when I was a little kid and I got money from the bank, I would always want to save it, hang on to it because it was just so much fun to have money, amen? Really? That's because you're so generous. You've given it all away. She spent, he says, she spent on everything she, that she landed on. And then when she thought, when she bought it, she would mortgage it as much as she could and buy everything else she landed on. She would accumulate everything she could and eventually she became the master of the board. And every time I landed, I would have to pay her money. And eventually every time she would take my last dollar, I would quit in utter defeat. And then she would always say the same thing to me. She'd look at me and she'd say, one day you'll learn to play the game. I hated it when she said that to me. But one summer, I played Monopoly with a neighbor kid, a friend of mine, almost every day, all day long. We'd play Monopoly for hours. And that summer, I learned to play the game. I came to understand the only way to win is to make a total commitment to acquisition. I came to understand that money and possessions that's the way that you keep score. And by the end of that summer, I was more ruthless than my grandmother. I was ready to bend the rules if I had to to win the game. And I sat down with her to play that fall. Slowly, cunningly, I exposed my grandmother's vulnerability. Relentlessly, inexorably, I drove her off the board. The game does strange things to you. She was an old lady by now. She was a widow. She had raised my mom. She loved my mom. She loved me. I took everything she had. 
I destroyed her financially and psychologically. I watched her give her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. It was the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> and then she had one more thing to teach me. Then she said, now, John, it all goes back in the box. All those houses, all those hotels, all the railroads and utility companies, all that property and all that wonderful money, now it all goes back in the box. I didn't want it to go back in the box. I wanted to leave the board out, bronze it maybe, as a memorial to my ability to play the game, the fact that I had beaten my grandmother who had beaten me so many times. Nope, she said. John, none of it was really yours. You got all heated up about it for a while, but it was around a long time before you sat down at the board, and it will be here after you're gone. John, players come and players go, but it all goes back in the box. And the game always ends for every player. The game always ends. That's true, isn't it? The game always ends. The game that you and I are playing, this life, it all ends. And everything we've accumulated, everything we've acquired that we thought would make us cool and fancy and loved and accepted and make us feel like somebody, it'll all be put in a box. Somebody else will buy it, somebody else will get it, somebody else will trash it, somebody else will waste it. And not to be crude, but you will also be put in a box as well. Someone said that only what's done for Jesus will last. One life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. Do you believe that? I mean, really, sincerely, like, do you really? I'm asking myself, do I really believe that? Because a lot of times I look at myself and I just think, I'm not acting like I'm believing that. Sometimes into hoarding, sometimes into keeping, sometimes I'm into finding my identity, my security, and my abilities, my talents that God has already given to me, or what I have, or where it might be. And man, all that's going to go in the box. Soon one life will be passed, only what's done for Jesus will last. Would you be, would you ask God to help you discern if you want you to be more generous? If he wants you to invest more in what matters and will transcend eternity, what will never go in the box, than what will stay in the box. Jesus says, don't lay up treasures for yourself here on this earth where moth and rust destroys. He says, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven where no moth, no rust destroys and where a reward awaits you. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your generous nature. Thank you for giving us Jesus. We already know there's not a way possible to repay you for what he's done for us. We're thankful. God, as we look at that little card in our hands, it represents laying up treasures in heaven. It represents an opportunity to be more like you, to touch more kids, touch more young people, more orphans, more widows, more girls caught in sex trafficking. It represents an opportunity, Lord, to help those who are in need, those who are struggling. It helps us, Lord, reach out to be more diverse. It helps us, Lord, to start more campuses. It helps us, Lord, to help people grow in their faith journey and walk with you. 
God, we want our investment to be in the kingdom. God, please help us. And as you move on us, may we respond. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, would you stand with me? And, uh, you know, if you want to fill it out and drop it in, please do that. But God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of the week. If you want someone to pray with you, our prayer partners will be here. If you'd like to meet me, I'll be down here as well. You're dismissed.